You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. This is Susan Lewis-Simmons, one of your hosts, along with... Tom Hobbled. Oh, no, you used your name. Well, you used Susan Lewis-Simmons. Yeah, but I didn't used to be TomTheBomb.com either. Good yeah, heaven. well, you know. Here, we don't ever know who's going to be in the studio with me, That's do we? That's true. You have been a little everybody. But look That's at you. That's true. And, and I've been gone and here and gone and here. And while I'm thinking about it, I had somebody in the office on Sunday whose father was an LAPD uh, motor cop many years ago. And she says, your boots in your office need to be shined. <laughs> That's disgraceful. I couldn't well, believe it. Yeah, so... For all of our listeners out there, my office is the bathroom. It has a traffic bureau sign over the top of it. My motor boots are in there, my motor helmet, gloves, you know. It's all in the bathroom. It's a a fitting place for a motor, I guess. At least that's what Susan says. Absolutely. So when she walked in and she came out, she goes, that's disgraceful. And I went, what? She goes, tell him those are horrible motor boots. They need to be shined. I said, oh, I can't wait to see you now. So get on that, would you? All right. As soon as you get back from California. I'll do that in my free time. Absolutely. Anyway, you want to tell us about your uh, the guest that Tracy lined up for us today? So... I don't know how Tracy finds you guys, but we don't ask. She manages somehow. She stalks Lots people, of stalking, but we don't want to sure. know. We're right. We, we got no yeah. responsibility there. So our guest today is Cody and La Samoa, right? Is that how I said? Yeah. Okay, I did say it right. All right, good. And so you guys are up in Colorado. We are. And you guys met kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like uh, online dating yeah. or hooked up from friends. Yeah. Or... My grocery cart didn't hit his grocery cart at the supermarket. <laughs> like, no, like, something like that. No, no swiping. Uh, that would have been probably easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that probably maybe even preferred, right, than the way that you guys did meet. <laughs> it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet sometimes. Kind you of, know what? I've like heard it. that the swiping left and swiping right can be a little dangerous sometimes, too. So. You're yeah. not wrong, I'm assuming. I, I don't know. I've never, I haven't done the online dating thing either. Uh, no, I, me neither. I haven't yeah. in years, so let's put it that way. And when hey, you hey, swipe you, then, you just said yes, you liked or no, you didn't. But this <laughs> swiping stuff, I think, could get you in trouble. It's a different animal. It is. It definitely is. Uh, but yeah, no, we, we met under uh, very uh, non-ideal, you know, circumstances. And, uh, you know, if anybody pays attention to the national news or any of the the gun violence, you know, pertaining to mass shooters and things like that, uh, there was a, a shooting that uh, took place July 20th, 2012. And, uh, you know, I'll let Lasamoa touch on that a little bit. I was a first responder at that uh shooting incident at the Century Theater in Aurora, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And and you were uh, a first responder I mean, as a as an officer. As right? a police. Yeah, I was working the graveyard shift at the time, uh, patrol at the time on the graveyard shift in District 1. Yeah. 
So yeah, and I was just nineteen year old girl going to the movies with my boyfriend at the time, fiance, um, and just some very unfortunate things unraveled over the evening, uh, and you know, cosmic connection exploded, go. and I got <laughs> to meet Cody through it all. But you know, it did come at a very heightened cost. You know, of losing my fiance at the time, right. AJ Boyk. Um, but you know, yeah, that's that's a long story short. <laughs> Yeah, very, very short, very short. <laughs> that is, that is uh, how we how we began communicating, and it was ultimately through the court proceedings and things like that that followed. She did a lot of reaching out to a lot of the first responders, you know, the police, you know, fire paramedics, um, you know, even some of the the rural fire districts that came out to assist because it was a large scale uh, mass casualty kind of thing. I mean, we had seventy plus wounded, and, and ultimately it was twelve that were killed. Uh, you know, at the time. And so I think in a way uh, she saw the big picture approach where a lot of us probably didn't, but she actually reached out to several first responders saying, thank you. Uh, She did the same to myself and actually hand delivered a note that she had written for me. Um, And I had almost tried to avoid meeting up with her for a while because I had this survivor's guilt. It was, it was odd. You know, I I was like, I, I don't know how to react to this. How do I, how do I approach this with a positive light? I was having a hard time with it, right? I was having a hard time with a pat on the back saying, thank you, because here I am on my watch, you know, 70 people were wounded, 12 were killed, one of which was her fiance. And I'm like, how how do I look somebody in the face and, and talk to them about that? And it was very difficult, but she did find me and she hand delivered that note and I, I probably didn't last more than a couple sentences before I started tearing up, and uh, it it just resonated very strongly with me. Sure, yeah. so. sure. There's a lot of um. So I had gone through trial proceedings. So December of 2012, we were going through some of the preliminary hearing, mm-hmm. um, and so in that process, we heard a lot of law enforcement testimony, which was really grounding because you don't realize, whoa, wait, hold on. They're law enforcement. They still have families. They still have children. They still have spouses. They have all these things, uh, including emotion. (laughs) So it was really a humbling experience to say, you know, well, I survived this. Mm -hmm. They might not have survived it, but they're surviving it as well. So in the long term, right? So I I wrote out these letters to a bunch of the law enforcement officers at the time who responded that I knew had been present. Um, And so... Of course, and I knew him at the time. I knew of him at the time. So I got a hold of, you know, hey, we should get together and we should have lunch. Strike one. And we should we should re you know post the you know reschedule our lunch. Strike two. So then I'm like, okay, obviously picking up that this is a very uncomfortable conversation for you. But, you know, I already hand you know, I wrote this out, I typed it, I got all good, I got all nice, I got this gift. Can't return it, so <laughs> I'm gonna go find him. I know exactly where to find him, and and I dropped it. And you know, and then of course he saw me coming down the hallway, and he's like, "Oh crap!" There she is. <laughs> he couldn't turn around fast enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like, you know, yeah, things have just been busy, and I'm like, I'm sure things have been really crazy, so. I'm just going to respect your space. I don't want to pressure you into having lunch, you know, if that's not something you're comfortable with. Sure. I totally understand. 
I gave him everything. But oh, no, of course, I was like, hey, before I leave, though, can you go in and open that? That would be great. Thank you. And, and then it kind of went from there, you know. Did y'all actually to- meet that night at while that was all going on? Was there any? No, we knew of each other. I was actually a resource officer at one of the high schools. Her fiance had attended that high school. She was in college at the time uh-huh. and she knew of me as a resource officer at that school. Hmm. So ultimately we started communicating after this event and my name was like there. She's like, Oh, well, this is one of the officers I know of. And it just kind of went from there. Well, yeah, it was the, um, so I had known of him right from the high school at the time I was at the university of Colorado in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then my, my fiance at the time was a year younger than I was. Mm-hmm. So back home for summer break, when I saw him at the shooting, it's, it was post shooting, um, probably within a few hours, uh, they had bust all the survivors who were looking for family members, um, whether that was injured or deceased, we had no clue at the time. So we were shuttled to the high school up the road, it was less than a mile away. Um, and he, because he was the resource officer at the school, had the keys to the building. So when I showed up to the school, it looked like he had just arrived to unlock the building. And that's when I'm like, hey, I know you. Help me. <laughs> I'm in dire need to find somebody that I love and, you know, sure. help me figure this all out. You should recognize him. He, he's a student here. And he's just like, oh, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about, but, you know, we'll figure it out. And It's a big school. I mean, a couple thousand students. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, like my graduating class was 426 students. So, I mean, it wasn't the biggest city school because I know there's another high school in the area at the time they had something like 600, 700 graduates. Um, whereas like mine was probably in that middle range, but it's a ton of kids. And so, you know, and then I was never the one to get involved with law enforcement in that regard. Cause it was like, I did my homework. (laughs) I showed up on time. I left. Like you know, so I was a good so, kid. <laughs> yeah, I was a really good kid. I was class president. Yeah, yeah she's. Oh, I, wow. yeah, I ran that place. It was not the principal. <laughs> so everyone. Absolutely. So yeah. So in all of this, you didn't have any other issues with other officers accepting calls, notes, whatever you were taking, or were you really specific in meeting with him, with Chad by yourself? Yeah, so I wrote a, a letter to the police department as a whole mm-hmm. um, because it was kind of an isolated, everyone plays their role, you know. Mm-hmm. You might have been off, but I'm sure those who are off are still on call. So I just wrote a whole big generalized letter to the police department. But there were five officers specifically that I wrote letters to the arresting officer of the suspect at the time. Um, There were the two lead detectives, Cody, and there was one other one. Um, And I only wanted to hand deliver my, well, I only wanted to meet in person with Cody just because I had known him for leading up to it. I just had known of him. And so there was, you know, the high school that he was the SRO with, it's just a really tight knit community. So it was just really easy to just have that, bond in that capacity as opposed to you know i didn't have relationships with anybody else so it was just like hey you know i dropped off the other four letters with the police department but i held on to his Mm -hmm. until i could give it to him in person well you felt like you knew him at least somewhat because of that shared experience right yeah yeah. right and then of the high school students um there were three of them so aj 
my fiance was the only one murdered. There are two more students who had been wounded. And then I guess there was something like 59 students were involved that evening in total. So it was a pretty good chunk of, and I mean, it was the, the school is only less than half a mile away. So wow. about half a mile away. So you just think it's our, like our neighborhood movie theater. Right. So, so yeah. Yeah, and I apologize. I call you Chad. It's Cody, but at least it had four letters and started with a C. We're in the ballpark here. It's all good. Yeah, Cody. Just think Cody Wilde. Yeah, yeah. So tell us how it evolved from that emotional meeting where she uh, brings this to you and she sees, wow, policemen have feelings and emotions (laughs) that they really don't like to show, but they all have it, let me assure you. Yo, for sure. it was a work in progress. And I'll tell you that me specifically, so I came into the profession in 2004 and this was in Missoula, Montana. I was a police officer in Missoula for three and a half years and wellness was not something that they were really impressing on cops. Nobody was yeah. <laughs> anywhere in the they country. Really they aren't even now. Yeah, it's barely <laughs> being talked about now. Yeah. So so with that, when this incident occurred, I had a very difficult time in the aftermath with processing the totality of it. Sure. And look, I mean, you go to, I can't, I can't tell you, I mean, you, a dozen calls a day, 15 calls a day. And you see murders, suicides, violent crimes. You see it all the time. And then you just go from one call to the next. Typically, it's not this large scale. And that was one of the things that struck me. And then in the aftermath, like I said, I felt like I did not do enough. And I really fought every little thing that the police department did. They had a ceremony afterwards trying to celebrate like an awards ceremony. Sure. I got two awards at that ceremony and I didn't even go to it. Sure. And it was to the point where I remember being downstairs and I was working out, I was lifting weights and a couple of the other people I had interacted with at that shooting, they had reached out to me multiple times. Hey Cody, I would love to see you, you know, at this ceremony. It would mean a lot. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> sure. And I'm downstairs and I'm working out and I'm like slamming my weights and I'm just not, I'm not in the mood. And I'm like, I literally looking around and I go, I, I cannot do this. I cannot stare at these people and celebrate this event. Right. That was my mindset at that time. And it was the mindset like that for a reason, because sure. I was not looking at the forward progress that the survivors and the loved ones had made after that tragedy. Sure. Pointing case, this one. So in the aftermath, when she came up and I started seeing the strides that this woman was taking mm-hmm. to make sure that life was moving forward. She was not getting stuck in the mud. And even though that event, she's used that quote before, it was like sand going through her fingers. She moved forward from that event and did not stop, did not give up. That's what inspired me to want to make a change with me. And she let me see the positive rather than focusing on, you know what, all these people passed in this tragedy, but she let me see things from a different angle. We're doing okay. Cody, we're doing okay. Mm -hmm. Look what's happening. I'm still pressing forward. I'm still moving forward. I have dreams. I have hopes. I have desires. 
she allowed me to see that from a from an angle I had never looked at before. So that was kind of how it started. Sure. And then it just it just went from there. Sure. And the friendship just bloomed. I cannot describe to you. She saved my life. I can promise you that. Right. It's kind of it's kind of funny when he goes into that because he was, you know, it sounds really like, oh, how cool. Like you were such a good reflection on like resilience. <laughs> and but and I'm kind of like, it was so hard. hard. Like, don't get it wrong. Like yep. it was very difficult to look at him because it was like he was very jaded. Okay. Sure. And I'm not trying to throw him under the bus and be like, oh, that was a pretty picture. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> it, in reality. It was, yeah. But yeah, yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna double tap back on some of this and it's just like he did experience a lot of heartache. Sure. And it was all over his sleeves, like every which way. It was just like, you know, oh, I'm going to go to trial. And he's like, oh, you know, doesn't that ever get kind of annoying? You know, I had to do that all the time. And I'm like, excuse you? Like, you might do this all the time. Sure. Mm -hmm. But don't forget that, like, this is the only time this is ever going to happen to me. And so I'm going to value it to the point where it's like, I'm going to find those little marks in this journey because we don't know how long this journey is going to be from the night of the shooting to the night this trial ends. And it was four years, by the way. So (laughs) you put it all together and you're like, I get, you might do this every month. Hey, I got a subpoena. I got to go to court and testify. I'll walk every day. This is not my life. This is one thing that occurred in my life and it's happening over and over. And it was those kinds of tap-ins that really help him harness like he's you know a lot people are getting murdered all the time you know and oh i had to buckle it down and put up my boots and and get to work and it's like yeah cody but newsflash i didn't sign up to wear a shield so with that being said allow me to cope with my feelings allow me to go through this process and so by him being able to remind me hey these things do happen Mm -hmm. probably more frequently than you're aware Okay, but remember from my perspective, these things don't always happen. So we, it was like, he's the positive, I'm the negative, I'm the negative, he's the positive. And then it was just like, find that balance now. Sure. And it was really good press to like, okay, I respect where you're coming from. I know this is your job, but this isn't mine. Okay, I know where you're coming from. This is my job. So it was really a lot of that. And it was a lot of give and take over the years mm-hmm. um, through the testimony, through the recollection of it all, through supporting him through it all him supporting me one day it was just like man i'm having a really hard day with everything that was going on the trial ah, that sucks hey i'm having a really hard time with nightmares and you know stuff like that and it was just a lot of give and take throughout the years so that's where finally over time it was just like who am i going to call when i'm having bad tragic night terrors law oh my gosh who am i going to call when he's like you know, upset at two o'clock in the morning. I can't sleep because I had this one nightmare, you know, and sure. I'm going to call Cody, you know, so it just, and that's where it came from. That was the seed. You know, it's crazy. But Cody, don't you think too, looking back at talking about where she was versus where you were, yeah. you know, you're an SRO. You got a lot of high school kids involved here. One of the things that we run into at Under the Shield is the guilt of being a problem solver. That's your whole job description. And you kind of had a double whammy of being law enforcement plus the SRO that somehow you should have been able to prevent this entire event from happening. And in not identifying that and recognizing that it's hard to move forward versus her situation is one of 
complete difference. I mean, it's just very different. And so until first responders can really accept that there are some problems you're not going to be able to solve, and then you come in and you do everything that you can do, and that's Maybe. where the survivors were coming from, a place of gratitude, not a, why didn't you stop him before he got there, that kind of thing. And I think 100%. this is a huge thing. We, Tom and I find when we teach that that's really lacking in the new academies. It's lacking in in-service and that kind of stuff that y'all don't even know what your real job description is and problem solver is it. It is. It's it's a hundred percent it and the job it's changed so drastically, you know. I mean here here I am eighteen years later, and it is it's the same job, it's the same career, but it's evolved so much and the expectations and the environment they're just so vast, they're they're just so vastly different. Things that we would have never done like early on in my career. I mean for instance, like we have body cameras, right? right? Great. They get us out of trouble more often than anything sure. because the people are actually seeing that we're, oh, they're actually doing their job. Right. But it's, it's the little administrative tasks and I'm a sergeant now. And so the admin side of things, it's so strange how you're sitting there and the expectations that are brought on you from command staff or whoever, I won't name names or whatever, but things that are brought on you, you're like, what is the relevance of this? Right. And you're right. You sit there and you question, why am I here? Yep. Like, what, what is the point? Right. But you're 100% right. And especially as you evolve in your career, and let's say you make corporal or sergeant or lieutenant or whatever rank, mm -hmm. you evolve with that. But you're still a problem solver. Yes. And that's the way I had not looked at it until more recently. Well, so no, I 100% agree. And talking about the body cams too, the thing, the other part that we find to this is that we talk about, I wrote a theory 30 years ago of the psychological garbage can, basically that law enforcement has one because what you do is a lifestyle. And sick humor, we have found research that says when you can use sick humor, the body sends a message to the brain, this has no power over me. But you never use sick humor where children were concerned. But now with body cams, you can't use sick humor over anything because you'll get in trouble when they review it. So now people's garbage yeah. cans are filling up. And so when you combine that whole thing, were, were body cams around? Did y'all have them in 2012? No. Okay. No, we didn't have them yet. Okay. I was one of the, I was one of the initial ones to have them because I was a field training officer. Mm -hmm. So we started, I think we started deploying body cameras. It might have been 2014. 15, 15 range. Mm -hmm. And so I was a swing shift FTO, which was, you know, busy shift. And they wanted us to kind of be the first ones to deploy the body cameras, but we didn't use them in the same way we do now. Now it's like, if it's not a body camera, <laughs> it didn't happen. Right. And you're like, whoa, whoa, what? You know, I mean, your body camera, maybe in a use of force, it gets knocked off your chest. And they're like, well, did that happen? Right. <laughs> now you're going to get in trouble because it should not exactly. have happened and it exactly. should have been on body cam. Yep. So the one plus you can put the body camera on mute. Like if you're interacting with another officer, let's say you're having, you know, real quick powwow or whatever, like, hey, what did you hear? What did they tell you? You know, here and their side of it. 
you can mute it if you're going on a sidebar conversation. But if you're in contact with the public, yep. that, ha- that has to be running yeah. at all times. Sure. And then they've expanded and we have a new thing called a CDC report. It's a contact data collection report. So every contact you make, not only do you have your police report, but then you have to type another administrative document, why you contacted them, whether it resulted in the use of force, what race do you think they are, how old do you think they are, wait, wait, what's wait, your sexual wait, Time out. Are y'all under the DOJ like Maricopa County Sheriff's Office is? Yep. Yes, we are. There you go. We we, yep. The same thing's happening so, here. That's crazy yeah. stuff. It's, it's just stuff that like you signed up you know, to be somebody that can defend people that can't defend themselves. And then now it's evolved into CYA, Yep, everything yep. you do. So it's very difficult to evolve with that. And you're still having to be that problem solver. And now I'm having to help my subordinates and my coworkers kind of work through this stuff too. To so it's a challenge. Sure. Did anybody yep. notice in your department things going on with you that were different from the time of the shooting until really you guys kind of got together and you started realizing there was a different side that you should be looking at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So as far as my behavior at work now, I was, I didn't have anybody that was concerned about, Ooh, you're seeming angry at work or, Oh, you're, you're getting heavy handed or whatever. Thankfully it didn't come out like that. I've never, I've never gotten heavy into alcohol or or any kind of substance abuse the issue that I had, mm-hmm. and this was completely work-related, but I couldn't sleep. And so there'd be periods of time where I would be awake. I think the worst I had was 41 hours in a row. I was awake. And I'm sitting there and I'm tossing and turning and like, you know, getting mad at her. I mean, down the road, like getting up, you know, up and like, what the hell, you know, that kind of thing. And She's like, finally. Don't worry, I'm hard headed. She is. <laughs> it's okay, I handled it. She did, and finally, she she laid it out, and she goes, "I didn't do this. You go talk to somebody. You get this figured out because this is not me. You're making your girls upset. You're making me upset. This is on you. You need to figure this out." Sure. And so it's one of those where she had always talked about Cody. You need to go talk to someone. Sure. Some form of counseling some some way and i was not very open to it <laughs> Imagine no, no. no way how far out are we talking here how, how long we're talking we're talking four years removed from it i was miserable yeah. you know what i mean so, so that long later i'm angry i'm lashing out at things again thankfully not not work related i was able to go to work, work 10 hours, do my job. But then I come back. Like I would literally walk in the door. I would literally walk in the door and my oldest daughter in law would look at me and, and they're like, like, do we say anything to him? <laughs> give him space. And it, I mean, it, was, it would go like this. We'd hear the truck open. Yeah. I'll drive in and we're like, hold on. <laughs> what is it? look like we did it all we don't know uh so you know and then it was like do we ask him how his day was or do we pretend we don't care uh and you know it was always a dice so it was just like hey how was your work uh you know day at work and his daughter would ask you know what these people but you know and it was never just venting it was like it almost felt personal you know and it was like oh we can't make them do things different what do you 
getting mad at us for, you know? And, <laughs> or it would be like, hey, how'd you sleep? We don't even ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> we just, you know, it's just not the question worth asking around sure. here anymore. You either can tell or you can't tell. It's up to you. Yeah. But once that happened, I was like, listen, I didn't cut you. So you don't bleed on me. Right. And, and the girls don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. All your buddies or something. Cause they clearly can handle what you're talking about. Cause we don't know. And from that point forward, he's just like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm like, talk to someone. Yes. Yep. Well, it's funny. I was, I was married to a federal agent in drug enforcement and being the introvert that I am, <laughs> uh, he would come home and start in and I'd sit in a chair and I'd hold a flood lamp bulb over my head and go, all right, go ahead. <laughs> there were a few, I'm sure that went very well. <laughs> there, were, there were a few times I thought, do I need to screw this thing into a light socket for you to understand exactly what I'm saying to you? Cut the interrogation now. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, honestly totally. that's been a conversation too, you know, and that's something that I've had to learn through my own therapy. Um that it's it's a different cut. It's not He's not an accountant. Right. He doesn't work a day job. Right. The shift changes sometimes. The people change every day. The problem changes. Lately, the problems have been the same, different caliber of intensity. Um, But it was really hard for me to understand that I get he's bleeding. Yes. But he can't help it. Right. There's only one place you can go at the end of a shift, and that's usually right home. Um, And so then it's like, okay, well... Let me help you clean up the mess. You know, emotionally, what I can help you with at home, I will do the best that I can. Mm-hmm. I can't guarantee you I'm going to patch up your wounds or anything, but I can certainly, you know, hear you out, hear you talking. But, you know, that also took work because yes. for a long time, he would come home and talk to us like it was our our problem. Like, sure. you know, I'm dealing with this at work. You guys you know, have this done and that done. And it's like, what? Am I missing something? Like, what is there a rule book to be a cop's wife? Because I'm, I really need to figure this out. Like, who do, who do I call? You know. And then the more I started to figure it out, I'm like, listen, let's be rational. And it just came back to this balancing. You can be upset with work, but when you start taking it out on us, that's a completely different story. Now we need to hit rewind. We need to go through this again. And at that point, he's like, all right, yeah, this isn't fair to them. And I'm sure a lot of what I was expecting wasn't fair either. You know, so we met eye to eye and it's still, it's still here and there sometimes, but it was a definite. So when other people's wives are like, you know, Oh, my husband's this and that. And and I'm like, Oh yeah. My husband yelled at me. Like what's going on? I was doing his laundry. He had the the audacity to tell me this, that, and you know, when you get amongst other cops wives, you're like, He's such a jerk. <laughs> I'm glad you understand, you know, but then other people are like, why don't you leave it? Like, no, it's not like that, it's not that. you know, cause it's, it's a different lifestyle. It's a yeah. different taste. It's a different element. And so, you know, him getting that help was definitely what was needed. Mm-hmm. And I've always been, it took me seven days after my fiance was buried or it took me three days after my fiance was buried to sit in the big chair in my therapist's office. So, what- so one whole week. 10 days after the shooting, I was in there. What pro- finally prompted you? Was it, a, I'm leaving if you don't go get help? What What made you finally go, okay, I'll go? No, in, in reality, and, and honestly, she never has been like, I can't do this, I'm out. She's never, she's never done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it started resonating with me more and more, the fact you get one time through. 
-hmm. you get one life and I didn't enjoy the misery I was in. And I mean, it was, it was pure desperation. I went to a hypnotherapist to help with sleep. I I, I kid you not. Like I was, I was trying everything. I'm like, I don't, dude, I'm desperate. Like I need to get this thing squared away, but it was deeper. It It was just a total, total healing that I needed. And I needed to just come to grips with so many things. I started focusing on, yes, communicating far better with professionals and people that actually knew how to, hey, man, here's a tool. Try this tool. Try that tool. Giving me some options. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, this is funny. I I got into a guy by the name of Wim Hof. I got into this breath work thing. Breathing in, out, in, out. Yes crazy brings up and memories into, and feelings yep. and oh yeah yeah got into got into meditations uh just like slow and things down in my mind and then to cap it off ice baths i started taking ice baths and again people can no way i kid you not i'll sit in a, a 36 degree ice bath or 38 degree ice bath for 15 minutes mm-hmm. i'll just sit in there freezing freezing cold you want to you want to freak but it develops this resilience inside you yes and it starts helping you out with the levels of stress i have taken so many different avenues to try to get myself right for her right for my girls right for my family and loved ones as well as myself because i owed it to every single one of them including myself absolutely i don't want to be miserable i don't want to be going through life just disliking people she realized i was in a better spot yeah we went to a wedding and we showed up to this wedding and i was always like oh these people give me a break you know nah, nah, nah. cliche cliche <laughs> we we so go to this wedding this is when she knew <laughs> this is when she knew you know what cody's on the right path i literally looked at her and i started tearing up and i go Dude, they're seriously in love. I'm really happy for them. I was going to say, and she looked, cried. She, goes, <laughs> she cried at the wedding. I knew that was going to come out. He cried. He goes, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, he was a little bit more of the negative Nancy. For a while there, which was off. Well, married. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they make it work, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And and I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, can we not go somewhere? It's not a gray cloud. I swear. Go to sitting over there going, oh, look how sweet the little flower girl is. <laughs> Precious. Nope. And then he's like, there, he's watching and he's like, I'm so happy for the bride. Yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so glad. And I'm like, oh, we're going to sleep great tonight. Oh, yeah. Who is this man? We have a ride. Yeah. It was so good. Great. So, how long did you do actual, what I guess, I assume in all of that other stuff you were doing, you were doing some type of talk therapy? I did. I did. Um, And we've done a few. So I went, this is what's difficult with the wellness aspect is you go, I met with one person several times Mm -hmm. then I met with another person because that person left and went to a different spot. And so it's the constant changeover from one therapist to the next, which can be very difficult because it takes a while to develop that trust. Absolutely. The trust, then they're legitimate in your eyes. Right. So once that happens, that was the hardest part for me. I ended up going to several different therapists and she lucked out a little better than me to where she was able to maintain the same, mostly the same relationship the majority of the time. Uh, and then we've gone together as a couple 
and we've gone just well two well we've gone twice we saw yeah. two therapists one right before we got married right. um she is now my individual at this moment in my right. life good um and then we got a different therapist just because when we stopped doing the couple stuff together um the therapist and i really hit it off and i hit her back up one day and i'm just like listen the 10 year marks coming back around for the shooting. And I kind of want to talk about a few things. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to dig in deep. And at that point she's like, all right, well, we're going to do this work together. So, um, I'm just going to do this work with you and you alone. And if you guys need another, you know, we'll find another therapist. And it, that was totally fine. Unfortunately, I was blessed to have right after the shooting, the same therapist for the immediate three years after the shooting. Nice. Um, Super. Every Wednesday, 11 o'clock after class. That's just how that went. And then I phased out of that when the trial ended. Um, and then I got into some more therapy when he was going through everything he was going through with the lack of sleep and everything. And I just felt very isolated because at that point, it's like, man, it doesn't matter what I do. I feel like there's just never enough, you know, and that's like the cop life mantra. It's like, it doesn't matter what I do. I can't make the violence turn off. I can't turn off the ad the administrative work. I can't turn off the paperwork. I can't turn off the subordinates. I can't turn off field training, the academy, the blah, blah, blah. So I got into another therapy with that where we did a lot of EMDR. Mm -hmm. um, and then now I'm back in with Becky, who we did couples with, and now she's my individual. Uh, and I make a joke now. <laughs> I'm going to be 30 in December. Oh my gosh, she is a baby. Oh my baby. gosh, she's young barely out of diapers. Oh geez, now I'm really. Oh, I know, geez. right? But I make I make this running joke. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be 30 in December, and I can't wait because all of my 20s, I went to therapy over something that happened to me when I was 19. <laughs> but it's just a big gap. I'm ready to close the door Absolutely. on. Just like, sure. Let's, let's go somewhere else now. Yeah. So is there like an aha moment? for you two that you decided okay this is not just a friendship any, anymore i mean what was it that oh, oh, yes. that you realized uh, hey i have feelings for this lady very much very much um it was again this was such a process through everything and it wasn't it was kind of tough early on because i don't know that either one of us were in a place right to actually be in a committed sure. relationship you know going through all this so it was a progression for me. It finally dawned on me where I literally was almost looking at myself in the mirror and I'm like, you know what? I don't think there's a single thing I want to do in life where she's not there with me. Right. So at that point it, it dawned on me, like I got to make this one, someone very prevalent in my life <laughs> manically. I mean, she's, she's beautiful, yes. but <laughs> it was much deeper than just an. It was much deeper than just an outward attraction. I mean, it, it grew. I fell in love with her. Right. I didn't fall in love with her. Lips. Right. You know what I mean. And, and I've never dated anybody like La Samoa, ever. I mean, this was <laughs> this is the first time in my life that I've actually been with somebody I would truly consider my best friend. I wish you the know, audience hand, could uh, see the faces and things that right. she is making while we're talking. I'm knocking it's on her head. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> but, <laughs> did you have any idea that she felt the same way about you? Or was this kind of a risky thing on your end going, I feel this way, but I don't know about her? No, I... We, I think we communicated well enough and I read people incredibly well and it was pretty obvious. She thought I was 
pretty cool dude. Yep. So it just kind of <laughs> just kind of went from there. <laughs> from yeah. my end. Um, you felt bad know. for him, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, law enforcement, shootings, murder all the time. He needs help. He needs, needs my, he needs my adult supervision, even though I'm Here. in my 20s. Yeah, right. Um, no, I, I, for a long time, was like, man, I feel... In fact, I have a picture to mark the moment. Uh, I was talking to my friend. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm watching TV. What are you doing? I need you. Meet me here now ASAP. I have to talk about Cody. Okay, yeah, yeah. Meets up with me and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, listen, I'm such, I know this because I go to therapy. (laughs) I am in a vulnerable position, you know, like I feel like I shouldn't feel this way about someone because the other someone hasn't even been, hasn't even been deceased this long, you know, and my friend's like, well, how long is it supposed to be before you're supposed to allow yourself to feel some way? Right. Question. You know, then, of course, I'm like 19. I'm like, can we Google that? Like, is that a thing? Can we, <laughs> can we get a short answer, you know? And then that turned into, but no, what if, you know, I, what if I develop stronger feelings for him? So then the survivor guilt kicks in and then it's like, oh, you can't feel those things. So there's a lot of push. Yes. It was a lot. Of, I really do like you. But I shouldn't. <laughs> I really want to like you, but I shouldn't because no one tells you about what this looks like at the end. Sure. You know, uh-uh. no one tells you, "Hey, welcome to your new life. Go figure it out." Right. With what information? Yeah. So that was the same night. I knew deep, deep, deep down inside there, I had a very, very strong feeling for Cody, um, but I was too afraid to put the L word on it. You know, because <laughs> it was just a grieving process, but. The more and more, and then he's like telling me things, and I'm just like, Whoa, what does that mean? <laughs> Are you sure? Because I'm still trying to find the book that says how to get past the shooting. I'm trying to go to Barnes and Noble and just make sure that there wasn't only one copy printed of this book I need, you know, like how to survive post shooting, like, oh, you know, but and and the more and more that happened, the more and more I talked to my friend, my therapist, the more we put things in place for the guilt feelings that were coming above the surface. Yes. I'm just like, you know what? I don't really owe anybody anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sure. If you want to do this, let's do it together. Let's go. So you who know? said it first? Who said the L word first? I'm trying to think. I, I honestly got it. I don't know if. <laughs> it's so for the me, audience, right? I can't see. Yeah. Me. Lassimo's She's got an incredible memory. So had to open me. For all, yeah, for all those who can't see me, I'm like pointing under my. It, it was Cody. <laughs> She's got a better memory than I do. So okay. hey. When I said that, I was like, the gates are open. Who needs a book now? Exactly. exactly. And then it was shortly after that that he was crying at weddings. <laughs> crying away. Yep. Yeah. It, it was a definite work in progress. That was probably a two-year project. I mean, it was it was work. And and I'm telling you right now, man, I could not have made that. Had it not been for her or had it not been for her, it would have taken me far longer. Sure. That's what I was sure. Well, there were a lot of times in that journey, in fact, where I was thinking to myself, man, this, this is so hard. And I, I'm literally 23. I don't need this. Mm-hmm. I do not need the law enforcement life. I don't, my dad was <clears throat> kind of sort of law enforcement. How do you kind of sort of? It doesn't matter. It, there's big city stuff. And military military yeah, officer down in the springs. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
took a lot of that out of, you know, and I just thought to myself, like, I don't need any of this. And when I think back on that, the biggest thing that helped me stay was that man is my best friend. And to think that if I walked out, I would leave him there while I go flourish Mm -hmm. because right. I'm so hard headed. I don't have an option. You either make it or just die tomorrow. Like there's not an option. Okay. And that's usually how it goes in my head. Everyone's like freaking out. Oh, COVID. And I'm like, it's going to be fine. Chill out. Okay. We are going to be okay. I get things are really inconvenient and it's really hard pressed to mask up and get vaxxed and all. We're going to figure it out. All right. Sure. And so that's just who I've always been. Knowing that, it was really hard for me to look at him, knowing how much he was hurting, to think, no, I might not need this, but I I owe it to you too. Like, if I could get myself out of there, the least I could do is be that person. And that sounds so holier than thou. It really does. But no, it was just... So. Yeah, I don't think so. No, not at all. I, I think it you, was it, so. the mental mindset so. is half the battle for so many things in life. I, I think that's absolutely where you should have been. And I didn't want to leave him and his kids behind to think, man, I had this, you know, I, I had the fortitude immediately after walking out of the theater, bloody and all thinking, I'm going to go to therapy. Cause this is some bullshit. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go. Cause I don't even know what this is. It could be gang related. I don't know. Did it happen to me? I don't know yet. Is he alive in there? Still don't know. You know, with all that in mind, I'm like, I'm going to therapy either way. Sure. Whether he's here or he's not here, I'm going to go. So knowing that that's how I felt and knowing he had been law enforcement, I think it was, let's do the math real quick. 12 years, 12 years at that point yeah. that I was on some shaky ground. And I'm like, it took him 12 years to be with someone like me to have the mindset to think therapy is some of the way. Mm-hmm. I would leave with that knowledge in my back pocket and just leave him for another 12 years to figure it out. It may or may not have ever happened. And I'm like, no, over my dead body, I'm going to help him. Mm-hmm. So even though this sucks and even though it's really hard, I'm not going to just walk out on my best friend. That's no way in heck. What are the no. struggles Watch now? You. What are the struggles now? Well, I mean, it's day to day. It's just like everybody. I think that we have the same concerns that, that others have. I think that, uh, they just, the pure chaos from the top down with everything going on in the nation. And, uh, you know, you got your concerns. I mean, this being election day, right. I mean, everybody not going to preach a candidate or candidate or whatever, but I mean, where, where you go about it, there's legitimate things to be concerned with that are near and dear to my heart, no doubt hers and the future, you know, young generation growing up right now. And those are the things that are on my heart and mind and the job itself I probably got a few more years left in me. I think uh, I'm probably looking at about four and a half years. And obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm, I just turned 39. So I'm, I'm pretty young still. So you look at it, and it's like, mm, I, I can do this a few more years. And I love teaching. So whether that boils down to finding things that motivate me, to just keep pressing forward and doing my thing that that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. So I think focusing on what I can control has been something that has helped me drastically and owning everything in my life and trying to be as excellent as I can be. Sure. And as long as I'm having that personal excellence, that's what I can focus on. And then I can help her 
do the same and find the things that motivate her. And we try to do the same like for our girls. Mm-hmm. But we have the same stressors that everybody else has. You know, it's it's the very, very busy calls for service, the less staffing that we're dealing with. Uh, not as many people want to do the job as, as once right. did. Amen. And so those things are not going to change anytime soon. I think that the general public has a hard time realizing that just the academy alone, that's six and a half months. Sure. And then you have an FTO program that's another three and a half months. So you're looking at, what, 10 to 12 months right. before a brand new officer is ready to be on the road as a solo beat officer. Sure. That's not overnight. Right. So this staffing problem is going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. We're having to change the way we do things, change from 410s. We're going to be moving to 312s, just things that we can do to help staff yeah. and manpower. So those things, they're not going to change anytime yeah. soon. How are you two using the tragedy there at the theater? Are you guys going out and speaking? Are you doing things together that are kind of in conjunction with each other? That helps heal you yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah. So after, after the shooting, we got a lot of, I got a lot of media attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a lot, that was a lot to take on at 19, okay. you know, and then petitioning anti-gun stuff, uh, which on this podcast, I can rightfully tell everybody, I can rightfully tell anybody anytime I want. This is America. Right. Uh, I don't, I don't agree anymore, you know, and, and I, it came up to going to Washington, in dc downtown denver and petitioning you know with moms against guns and all this stuff it came out to real for me it came out as a reflection of i'm just you being used as a pawn and a lot of the emotional drive uh hey can you cry in front of this legislator pull some heart tug so we can kind of make this happen you know and then it's like i'm over this story quite frankly i'm not healing at all I'm just telling you guys what you need to hear to make something happen that I'm convinced is probably not going to happen anytime soon. Right. Um, so after having done that for repetitive, probably two or three years after the shooting, I tapped out. So talking about it was really touchy and it was just exhausting. So the media coverage, I pulled away from a lot of that. Um, and I didn't open my door back up to it until the 10 year mark mm-hmm. because I have enough story now to talk to other people about how this works now. Hey, I should write that book, <laughs> but you know, oh, yeah. but, um, the, the 101 steps on how to survive a mass shoot. There you go. You were looking for it. Now, not, now you need to write it. And now it's out there. Um, but it was a lot of that, that work afterward that I'm just like, I don't want to get back out there. It was something that I had talked about and, in fact, did start writing a book. But once I hit a certain point, I needed to go back to therapy, work some of that stuff out. We'll see. It's in the – there's no deadline on it. It's going to come when it comes. But I think us doing that, going out and talking about that, I just – I've never actually proactively thought about it um, from my end of things. We've done magazine coverage, you know, some news, you know, national media, Inside Edition – we did local news with our um, nine news, nine news here in Denver. So mm-hmm. we did a lot of that. Um, but as far as like, you know, the Columbine shooting, there was rape, the Rachel's challenge um, where her brother and family went across the country, just spreading the message of awareness with like, you know, social, you know, mental health and everything like that. I, it didn't occur to me. Um, and it's just, a, it's a lot, you know, think about 
something that happened 10 years ago, I'm going to talk about it some more and more and more and more and sure. more and more and more. It, it starts to task the, sure. the heart. Yeah. Sure. Um, so it's not something we've actually proactively thought about doing. Definitely have not as far as, uh, you know, proactively educating or anything pertaining to that. Mm -hmm. We definitely have discussed educational things when it pertains to, you know, various NRA certifications, teaching people handgun safety, firearm safety, self-defense things. Um, I started a podcast as well. And that's one of those things that through that, which she's, she's been on my podcast, I'll get her on numerous others because I think there's a lot of benefit to be had from that. And I'm very open to helping people in whatever way I can. Sure. Was were, were the things that I I've done? Are they going to help everybody? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I know they work for me, mm -hmm. and they've worked very well for me. But it's taken discipline. Motivation's not always there to sit there and sit in freezing cold water for 15 minutes. <laughs> motivation <laughs> motivation's not always there to go downstairs and do a 60 minute workout. And just, just because in the end, you know, it's good for you. Sure. Motivation is not there. Discipline becomes a factor there. Mm -hmm. So what it boils down to discipline carries the day time and again. So for us, I am a hundred percent open to doing whatever I can to try to help people work their way through tragedies, yes. work their way through whatever they're struggling with in life. Sure. Totally on board with that. We just haven't actively communicated right. about that in particular. Right. Or no, or no, or have we talked about it? Other than the podcast as a group, right? Yep. The the book thing with having started writing that, I think, you know, once that's out there and it's out there, it's it's going to be valuable to whomever stumbles across it. I hope, you know. And so, um, that's just kind of how I see it, you know. And that's why I took on things like the Nine News segment Inside Edition because, you know, you jump on YouTube and find out real quick that there was six hundred and eighty thousand views on just the Inside Edition thing alone so it's like okay well that's half a million people that saw that and hopefully i know i'm not the only shooting survivor unfortunately you know and so knowing that it's like hey 10 years later it could go one of two ways you know and i've seen it in shootings where you know post-trauma takes over in manifest in alcoholism mm -hmm. drug addiction right. uh suicidal thoughts it turns into uh depression or oh, ptsd you know and then it just keeps hammering away in, in very negative lights and and at the time, it was a very dark place to be. But now that I'm 10 years accelerated, it's like, okay, wait, hold on. I've had my moments. Don't get me wrong. But I think big picture, it's kind of like when you're a child and you call mom and dad back and you're like, wow, this was harder than I thought it was. So thankful for you guys, yeah. you know? And so to have gone through the shooting and be like, wow, you know, and I look back on some of the journals I wrote during that time and I'll go back and read them. I'm like, wow, what a depressed woman she was. <laughs> Where now I'm like, man, these kids need to get in it with the dishes. Like I'm so over it, you know? And so it's like, it's nice to see my life hit a homeostasis. So, you know, I'm like, everybody else. Hang on, honey. So, Where do you hit 50? And then you hit 60. The homeostasis goes out the window. There ain't no homeostasis. He's talking about the ice At 50, bag. I'm going to be like, man, it, when is this here. man going to start doing the dishes? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, but I'm sitting here with an internal heater running. I'm thinking, you know what? That ice bath sounds so. pretty good right now. I, I, I think oh, I need I love it. Maybe I need to try that. Work your, work your way up. Don't start with 15 minutes. It is brutal. It's very cold. <laughs> so you brought up your podcast. So let's sure. tell everybody the name of your podcast. Yes. 
Yeah, so it's kind of a funny name. People people comment on it. It's called the Bearded Monkey Podcast. <laughs> so now you got to explain how you came up with because it's a great. Yeah. This is great. I like this okay. for sure. For sure. So a couple things. I mean, one of which is in life you oftentimes have to get the monkey off your back, yeah. right? If you're having a hard time with something, you got to fight to get that monkey off your back. But it also, one thing it boils down to is if you're going to fight for something, fight for something you're passionate about, yes. you need to fight like you're the third monkey on the ramp to Noah's Ark and it's starting to rain. Yeah. So that's, that's essentially what that bearded monkey podcast. We got a little great? bit of I mean, it's, Yeah, this didn't happen overnight. It was a work in progress. <laughs> It's been fun. It's been fun. And how long have you had it up and running? A year, about a year. Twenty twenty one. Yeah, I think it was January actually. January. Yeah, yeah. I've listened two. to a couple of them so far, and I yeah. very good. I like what you're doing. Well, they vary in length too. I mean, yeah, it is. It's it's very veteran based, but law enforcement as well. And it's really anybody who's made it through some form of difficulty in their life right. and how they've pressed forward. That's, that's really what it is. Right. Them telling their stories and their words. So you know, we need to connect you with Lieutenant Rich Mack, retired NYPD. Um, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to. I spent five weeks with the NYPD post nine 11 and rich and I became very good friends. And he was <laughs> one of the instrumental ones there for a lot of the things that went on early stages and then on down the road and uh, yeah Yeah. he he would be a great one to have on your podcast talking about his stuff i'd love to yes so i'll make sure we make that connection and uh yeah you know you guys uh honestly your story is amazing and it shows that good can come from bad and Mm -hmm. that there's healing and helping even each other and you know when you're talking about how many people have have uh, listened to things, whether it was your interviews on the news or whatever, you know, keep in mind, your goal should be if you help one person, it was worth it to do those interviews, one person. And you don't know how far reaching that one person can be. And so this is, and this is something law enforcement needs to hear a lot more often also, because I think that's where y'all get bogged down in stuff. You may help 10, but you see a hundred that you didn't. And that takes its toll. Uh, psychologically especially but you know this is this is one that i think there are a lot of people who need to hear this story and that's why we were so excited that tracy stalked you and did everything (laughs) that almost you were probably ready to put a protection order out or something i don't know i don't get involved in that i'm not not at all no (laughs) you guys you guys were very respectful too man i mean there's a lot of other ones that there's no shame and with you guys, not at all. You guys were awesome. Jeez. You absolutely awesome. Yeah, the media, I hope they hear this. <laughs> they are brutal. We don't like oh the media either. Yes. They are a pain in the butt from yes. so many directions. And every yes, every time they reached out, I'm like, uh, yeah, let me consult with my husband. But just to let you know, yeah. when I was 19, you know, and I just ripped them. I'm yeah. just like, you're asking me a favor? Let me tell you a little something. <laughs> well, you know, I think it does all of us, our, our hearts, a lot of good to see that you guys have come through such a tragedy yeah. from two different perspectives yeah. and mm-hmm. that you have put your lives you know, on the right track and you found each other and came together because I I have done a lot of training up in Colorado for the FOP. 
the state FOP oh, president's a very oh. good friend, and I actually was up there not too long after Aurora, and I know they tried to make some inroads to get me into your police department, and that you know, there's always a lot of blocks from a lot of directions, and so right. I know this is something I have worried about you, your agency, the guys and gals that were involved in this, and to see that, I mean, 10 years sounds like a long time, but in the scheme of things with what happened, right. 10 years is not a long time. And I think what you're doing and the way you're handling it and the fact that he now cries at weddings just makes my day. <laughs> okay, guys, disclaimer, he cries at everything now. <laughs> now I feel even better. I'm actually, better. I'm going to send you guys a picture. I literally took 20 minutes before this started. He's like looking down at the dog. You have such a pretty face. <laughs> and I'm just like, look at the top of the dog. Look at him. Video. No one will believe it. We need video of yeah. these things. I did, get a, I did get a little bit. Like it. I like it. I know how this This guy's a crier, too. This one is a crier, too. Let me assure you. Got a big heart. Absolutely. That's right. Got a big heart. Yeah. Right. So, no. to all those law enforcement out there mom. who think you're a bunch of badasses, let me tell you, we all know the secret. We know you're crying behind those clothes. Hey, we only got into this job because oh, our yes. heart is so big, we have to give it. And share it with other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You keep telling then, people that, Thomas. <laughs> and you know, it'd be cool to follow up with you guys and see what what I, I think. There's a lot of directions you can go with your story and your right. background. And uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, we hope you'll keep in touch with us. And oh, absolutely. We'll do this certainly. again down the road. And if we get up to Colorado to do any training or anything, then we'll certainly let you know we're going to be in the area okay. and. Uh, would love to have you sit in. We we I don't know if Tracy told you we do two different trainings. One that includes spouses or nice. significant other. I tell them don't bring both because I've had it happen. Spouse <laughs> <laughs> and significant other by hey. accident, yes. But oh, and yeah. then we do a supervisor's training also, and so oh, we we could benefit. Uh, well, we definitely benefit. It's 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 unique, and it is something that's different. That we're told that it has been very helpful and very beneficial all over. And uh, you know, again, stories like yours in this industry. One thing I'll say is, you have to have been married to it to understand it. Nobody else can understand it if they haven't been right. on that other side. And that's where right. I think so much of this is important. That you really entered into his life at a time that was a difficult, probably way more difficult right. than most police right. officers and y'all you guys were able to work through it and it shows couples can do that when they get the right help that's actually a really good point during covid the hardest time to be alive <laughs> it was a uh, covid you know social distancing mandates riots yes it was everything and it was just like you know and he just got promoted so then it was just at the time it was like, oh, yeah, let's test for this 2019. It's going to be a great year in 2020. <laughs> Missed the ceremony, couldn't have the ceremony, couldn't have. And then overnight, it's like 16 hour shifts to tend to riots downtown Denver. It's to do this. It's to, and it's like, you know, he'd come home some days and just be like, I think promoting the sergeant was the worst thing we've ever done for ourselves. And I'm like, yeah, starting to feel that way too. Yeah, I know but a lot of sergeants. It was. It was like, way. yeah. But again, yeah. you know, it's interesting. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, again, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day. And as we wrap things up here at Under the Shield, 
Uh, we want to, first of all, again, as we always try to do, thank everybody that's first responder and military for all the sacrifices that you make. And we especially want to thank the families because the sacrifices that are made, I think people don't really realize how tough it can be to be at home waiting and on the other side of everything that has gone on. And if you are struggling in any way, there's nothing we don't deal with here at Under the Shield. Keep in mind, we do not keep notes. We do not keep records. We don't care what your name is. You can call and tell me you're Tom. I'll believe you, whatever. <laughs> um, and our number is 855-889-2348. If you hit extension 1, we will not even have your phone number. It comes up as that number that you've dialed. So if we get disconnected, please call us back because we don't have any way of, of reaching you. My cell number, if you want to talk to me directly, is 334-324-3570. And my cell phone number is 480-861-6574. And again, we thank you guys for joining us, and we hope that you'll come back next week. Uh, no idea who's going to be on. We never know. This <laughs> It's always a mystery and a surprise here. Uh, but stay safe out there. God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. And again, thanks, guys, up in Colorado. We'll come visit. <laughs> and Thank then you, guys. Always One last plug. All our listeners, make sure you check out the Bearded Monkey podcast. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Take Thanks. care and see you next week. Yes, take care.